Although real quick, I just want to say we should start doing that for more food items instead of like ham sandwich. I got some hams here. I got a couple of hams here. I got a couple of black and whites <laughs> cookies. Well, that's sort of like a sh- like a sort of a shitty like Cockney rhyming slang where you just start calling things by like weird abstractions. Right, like instead of bathroom lights, you call them black and whites or something yeah. like that. Everyone's right. like, what? Apples like, and um, pears on the stairs. But you don't yeah. because you because that's not it because in real Cockney it's like you, you rhyme it and then you 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 shorten it. Yeah. So it's it doesn't end up rhyming at all. If it was like the black and whites were the bathroom light, you would just call the bathroom the light the blacks. blacks. Yeah. 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 Hit the blacks. <laughs> Yeah, hit the blacks. That's yeah. not great. Black and whites, black and whites. Yeah, that's not great. Oh, yeah. anyway. Anyways. I, right. I feel like we're resisting talking about dead Well, it's because <laughs> it's a hot mess. Episode of Why Did We Watch This, the podcast where three friends sit down, watch a troubled movie, have a nice drink, talk about what was bad, what was good, and how we could all do it better. I am your host for this week, Lee. These off of you, Delahanty. <laughs> I'm Chris. Ravel. And I am Brendan Thumbdick Drishler. And we have a special guest this week. I'm Faith. It's for the wrong hand, Doug Johnson. <laughs> Back again. What, Back is, again. what number is this? Do you know, like, four? This is my fourth. Fourth oh, number. Okay. You get the jacket next yeah, time. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Only with five do you get the members yeah. of the yeah. jacket. That we're all, that the rest of us <laughs> are wearing. 24-7. I can't wait to get mine. Yeah. <laughs> we can't take them off. Uh, if you could not tell from those nicknames, uh, we have just finished watching Dead Again, which I don't have the year for. In 1991. 1991. Yeah, it's an old one. Yeah. Sword yeah. in the Stone is unequivocally the oldest movie we've done since from the 60s, but mm. like generally, by and large, we tend to stick with like the past 15 years. And yeah, we should. It's a summer flick, this one. It yeah. came out in uh, late August. Huh. Ninety-one. Perfect time. All the kids are out of like, school listen. and they're looking for a Kenneth Branagh joint to, <laughs> to sit like, down at. It's too hot out here. Let's go indoors. Yeah, and watch a Kenneth Branagh. Let's go watch Noir. Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson decide what's the best. True Branagh fashion, directed and starring by. Yeah, his favorite actor. <laughs> and written. Is he I no, I think someone else wrote yeah. it. Okay, and we've got it's what him, Emma Thompson, Emma Thompson, Wayne Derek Knight, Jacoby, Derek Jacoby. Wayne Knight. Um, Andy Garcia. So oh, Robin dr- Williams, did yeah. you say him? Oh, yeah, Robin yeah. Williams. Is <laughs> yeah, and obviously we needed to have a nice drink to get us through it. Right. What did we drink? So the drink that we made was called the Chain Smoker. It is one ounce of smoked whiskey, which was really simple. We just poured the whiskey into a little bottle with a stopper, smoked it, popped the top on, let it sit for a little bit, and then used it on the drink. Four ounces of cold brew coffee. Half an ounce of birch syrup, one ounce of cream, and Creole bitters. <laughs> Just some Creole bitters. My American accent. <laughs> so you add the whiskey, the coffee, and the birch syrup to a shaker with ice, shake it up, strain it into a glass over more ice, top with cream, and add a dash of bitters, and that's it. Very simple. It was really yummy. Yeah. It was. Yeah, We've had good it. luck with coffee drinks. And you were worried it would be too sweet, and it was not at all. Not so at all. Really. Was I worried about that? Yeah, you mentioned something about I it. Yeah. The birch came through nicely. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it... I mean, obviously I had a whiskey-less one, but right. it worked without that as well, I thought. So. I, didn't even ta- I didn't really taste... It wasn't very whiskey-forward, really. I really didn't... Yeah, I just had a nice iced coffee. Yeah, yeah. I, I, taste, I, like, I definitely tasted like a bitter, smoky sort of faintness yeah. to it, but like... 
I didn't. I would not have noticed that there was probably alcohol in it. I mean, it tasted moment. good. If you, I think this should be on a bottomless brunch menu. Mm. I would drink that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we better talk about this movie. Well, before. we had something as in addition yeah. to. Oh, sorry, I forgot. We did have an. I, I'm sitting brunch. right here, Lee. <laughs> oh, I forgot. We usually don't have cookies. Well, yes, because I did not want to come up with a mocktail because I'm bad at it. So I came up with cookies, which I call the Back to a Happier Time cookies. Um, <laughs> yes, and that was the standard Toll House cookie recipe from the package with my secret ingredient that I will reveal to the world of a <laughs> box of vanilla pudding mix that I always add, mm-hmm. plus two tablespoons of fresh thyme and topped with smoked chocolate sea salt. Mm. Yeah. So I thought that would go nicely. They were yummy. They were really good, yeah. I really, I always think that like the vanilla pudding is the way to go with a cookie. You know, it just makes it such a nice. It, it's, it's, I had never yeah. heard of that move before. I got it from the New York Times, I think, back in college, and that's what I've always done. And the old just gray like, lady. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that old that old gray broad knows how to make her cookies. <laughs> yeah, well done. They were yeah. The thyme and the salt and the chocolate were like a good. Yeah, I always love together. I always love salt on a cookie. Yeah, they were a good cookie. I yeah. um I would like to have one. <laughs> I would like to have the cookie. I only had... <laughs> well, there's, there's more. Yeah, we've got Give, more. Yeah, I have more at home, so y- y'all can take these. Yeah, I, was, uh, I would like to have one. I would like to say to go, but I was like, here. Please leaving afterwards, so, so yeah. bye, everyone. To st- I would like to have one to stay. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I might bring one back for yeah. lunch or something. Yeah, you can do that. That's good okay, at this point... At this point... Now, I we think it is time to discuss what this movie is about, and I will turn it over to Chris. Yeah, we're going to... It's we've got a bit of a long one from Wikipedia. Listen, a lot happens. In this a movie. lot happens <laughs> in this movie. I would even go so far. I kind of skimmed it, and I would you say too much happens in this movie? Yeah, you know, it's almost like that's going to be kind of the recurring theme of this conversation. <laughs> a bit much, uh, three much even. So newspapers detail the 1948 murder of Margaret Strauss, who was stabbed during a robbery. Her anklet is missing. Her husband, composer Roman Strauss, is found guilty of the crime and condemned to death. Before his execution, Roman is visited by reporter Gray Barker. Asked if he killed Margaret, Roman appears to whisper something in Barker's ear. Uh, Baker's ear, sorry, not Barker. Baker does not disclose Roman's answer. 43 years later, private detective Mike Church investigates the identity of a woman who has disappeared at the orphanage where he grew up. She has amnesia, cannot speak, and has nightmares. Mike takes her in and asks his friend Pete Dugan to publish her picture and contact information. Antique dealer and hypnotist Franklin Madsen approaches Mike, suggesting hypnosis may help recover her memory. When the session is unsuccessful, Madsen discusses, or suggests rather, they experiment with past life regression. Mike is skeptical, but the woman details Margaret and Roman's lives in the third person, from courtship to their wedding. When the session ends, she can speak, but still has amnesia. Madsen shows them the Life magazine articles covering the murder. Mike and the woman bear a striking resemblance to Roman and Margaret. Mike visits former psychiatrist Cozy Carlisle, who insists they continue to see Madsen delving into the problems between Margaret and Roman may resolve her amnesia. Mike nicknames the woman Grace and falls in love with her. A man named Doug appears and claims that she is his fiancée Catherine, but Mike discovers he is lying and chases him off. Hypnotized, Grace remembers that Roman suffered from writer's block and was broke despite the vestiges of his earlier wealth. He believes that Margaret is flirting with Baker, whom she met on their wedding day. Margaret cannot convince him that she is faithful and catches Frankie, the son of their housekeeper Inga, 
looking through her jewelry box. She asks Roman to dismiss Inga, but Roman refuses, saying that Inga ha saved his life in Nazi Germany. Grace sees Mike standing over Margaret with scissors and is convinced he intends to kill her. Mike insists that he would never hurt her, but when he accidentally calls her Margaret, he agrees to let Madsen regress him. During his regression, he realizes that he was Margaret and Grace was actually Roman, but is unable to tell Madsen or Grace about this revelation. Pete Dugan tells Mike that he has identified Grace as artist Amanda Sharp. It is discovered she lost her memory due to getting mugged one night. Amanda slash Grace, still afraid of Mike, accompanies Dugan and Madsen to her apartment, where her artwork focuses on scissors. Madsen gives her a gun to protect herself from Mike. Mike visits Gray Baker in a nursing home and asks him about Roman's secret, but Baker insists that Roman said nothing to him, but instead leaned over and kissed him. Baker is convinced that Roman did not kill his wife and urges Mike to find Inga, who might know what truly happened. Mike finds and questions Inga. She reveals that Madsen is actually Frankie. One day in 1948, she declared her love to Roman, but he rebuffed her. Frankie blamed Margaret for his mother's unhappiness and killed her with scissors, then stole her anklet. Roman later was found covered in his wife's blood, holding the murder weapon. After Roman's execution, Inga took Frankie to London, where he learned about hypnotherapy and past life regression. After returning to L.A., Frankie was convinced that Margaret's spirit would seek revenge. Seeing Amanda's photo in the paper, he knew that she had returned. He hired Doug, an actor, to separate Mike and Amanda and distract Amanda while he waited to kill her. Inga apologizes for her role in Margaret's death and gives Mike the anklet. After Mike leaves to find Amanda, Frankie slash Madsen smothers Inga with a pillow. Mike tries to tell Amanda the truth. Terrified, she shoots him. Madsen arrives and reveals that he is Frankie. Amanda tries to shoot him as well, but the gun jams and he knocks her out. I don't say I think the gun's out of bullets, but whatever. I mean, he, it, he does say something like it's an antique when she tries to shoot him. So mm. yeah. I think the movie wants you to think that the yeah, gun jams. Yeah. yeah. He puts the scissors he used to kill Margaret in Mike's hands and tries to make it look like Amanda killed him and committed suicide. Mike revives and stabs Madsen in the leg with the scissors. In the ensuing struggle, Mike grabs the gun from Madsen. Dugan arrives, uh, misconstrues the scene, and Bearing tackles pizza. Mike. I think it's important to note that he He's, went to Domino's. And then he immediately <laughs> drops to tackle him. One as, small one. Yeah, <laughs> I guess like, he just well, thought it was going to be given to right? <laughs> I love when he goes and be like, four people, i got to get more pizza. So he just leaves. And a couple of seasons. <laughs> as Madsen reaches for the dropped pistol, Amanda stabs him in the back with the scissors. In a rage, Madsen pulls the scissors out and charges at Mike, but Mike quickly positions Amanda's scissors sculpture so that Madsen impales <laughs> that himself. That is the stupidest. It's, yeah. Again, it's very it's, cartoony. Because it's not choreographed well no. or right. shot well. Right. And it's not timed out the well. Idea because... that, yeah, the idea that somebody would have time to like... Put, put it perfectly he, underneath you. And like, yeah, think yeah. like, let me move this specific and, object. In what into... situation is he leaping from such a high, a high point to like, yes. yeah, that he would fall onto the blades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. A close montage shows Mike and Amanda embracing superimposed over Margaret and Roman in happier times. Oh, and that, so as we say, is dead again. It's how we became dead again. It's yeah. very it's simple. Bad. I don't you know. Wanna... Easy to follow plot. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? It's almost too straightforward, yeah. really. I, I think really we need some can. framing devices and flashbacks. And more red herrings. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to talk about... Let's start by talking about... Um, because I didn't know. Oh, sorry, until... we should do real quick just the couple of characters and the actors sure. who played them. Chris, do you still have it open? Yes. Do you have Wikipedia open, Chris? Okay. We know who it is. You don't need to make the face. Um, Kenneth Branagh is Mike Church slash Roman Strauss. Emma Thompson is Grace slash Amanda slash <laughs> yeah. Margaret Strauss. 
Uh, Andy Garcia is Gray Baker. Derek Jacoby is Franklin Madsen. Wayne Knight is Piccolo Pete Dugan. Robin Williams is Dr. Cozy Carlisle, which never sounds correct. Um, when does he get called Piccolo? I don't know. I thought, it's because he whistles. Yeah. It's because it's uh, and it kind of drops off after that, but Campbell Scott is Doug. That's right. Um, Hannah Shagula as Inca. Anna Shagula. Anna Shagula, and then Miriam Margulies in an uncredited yeah. role as a hit. And Christy never saw as a woman at party. As, uh, well, listed here as Lydia Larson, but All I don't right. ever remember hearing her name. That's who she was. Lydia Larson's a name. Yeah, it is. I mean, a lot of these names, to be fair, are names. Who's the one? There's a lot of like yeah. it was like something T Spago or some Spargo. It's like. Myron. Yeah, Myron T. Spargo. Yeah. Myron T. Spargo. I mean, yeah, but yeah, Cozy Carlisle. It feels like Cozy Carlisle should be like a sugar daddy in a 1940s <laughs> movie or something. Yeah. Not or, a character played by Robin Williams. Or, or just like, not, not like a disgraced psychiatrist, you know? Well, what's Cozy what's short name? for? Cozy Carlisle. I, yeah, no, that's, again, like, so is Cozy a nickname? Is it short for, like, Cosington Carlisle or something? Hi, I'm Cozy. Co- <laughs> you went in and got Cozy on his psychiatrist couch, yeah. and that's because he had his way with you. Right, yeah. I mean, like, that's not <laughs> kind of, like, what the nickname should be, right? Where it's like, like he, he's my sugar daddy. Every night I get Cozy with Carlisle, if you know what I mean. This isn't helpful for a character played by Robin Williams, but apparently Cozy is a common nickname for people named Cosima or Cosette. So you think his name's Cosette? He, he, could, be Cos- he could be Cosmo. Cosmo yeah. Carlisle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, <laughs> run with that then. If you're going to yeah. give us Piccolo Pete Dugan, give us... Cosmo uh-huh. Carlisle. Co- cozy Cosmo Carlisle. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, I didn't know about the, this until you told me, I think, because you read it somewhere, that it's a neo... It's described as a neo Well, Wikipedia, I think, yeah. is what it is. Categorized as a neo yeah. when I looked it up. And Which then, I was like... Because I was the one that put this movie up, because I'd seen it ages ago yeah. during my Kenneth Branagh phase, or perhaps my Emma Thompson phase. I had both. Or your joint... <laughs> Or my joint Thompson Thompson. Yeah. Or you have like separate phases. It's like oh, they're divorced, so I must divorce my phases from each other. <laughs> the full genre. <laughs> she went yeah. to a Helena Bonham Carter phase. <laughs> yeah. The full genre that Wikipedia gives it is neo noir romantic thriller. Mm. Okay, I, I mean that, that makes sense. Yeah, like there's the latter half. Yeah, romance. I think there are certainly elements of that there. Yes. But, yeah. So that's I mean that's kind of the first thing we're gonna talk about. Like yeah, it's wh- like, what is what this? Is this? <laughs> it's, it's, a a lot, it's a yeah. lot. Yeah, what, am I, what did I just there watch? Is, it's sort of a, it's a salad of many different ideas, and there are parts of it that are tossed together kind of well, and other parts that are not tossed together very well at all. Yeah, yeah. so uh, the one thing I had in response to, like, so... It, so again, we talked about neo noir, which like you 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 were like you looked it up and you're like right. yeah, well ne- <laughs> do it. Say what you said about neo noir. Well, I said that neo noir is very easy to define <laughs> because neo noir is literally a noir that was made after the heyday of film noir, which is to say like after the '60s or so. Mm-hmm. So pretty much anything that has the elements of noir, like Chris had said, Brick is a good example yeah. of like a fairly modern noir. That's what noir. I would say is neo noir. Right. No, I agree. I think like that. That's the thing too. Like when I hear noir, there are certain elements that I think of. I usually think of like there's a crime involved of some right. sort. There's detective probably involved right there's usually like a femme fatale style Mm -hmm. woman there's twists there's double identity right like no one's really honest with each other like everyone feels like they could either be telling the truth or completely lying at any given point there's usually a conspiracy happening yeah what I had also said when I was talking about what neo-noir was the other thing I said was that like it's very easy to define neo-noir it's very hard to define noir like no one has 
an agreed upon definition of what constitutes film noir. Is it just the shadows? Must there be a detective? Must there be a femme fatale? Is it literally dark? Is it just simply dark themes? Right. And then especially with neo-noir, you have things that you can shoot a noir in daytime in California, and it still feels like it could be a noir movie because of other elements that are Mm. going on here. But perhaps it's less physically dark than if you're shooting a black and white movie taking place at night in shadows. Yeah. Yeah. So I, th- th- my response to like this being called a neo-noir is, is it doesn't, I never thought of this as noirish much at all. And I, it, like looking at it as a, a fresh watch now and having mm-hmm. to consider it genre wise, whereas like when I was first watched it, I don't think I really thought about it that much. Like what genre is this? Right. Um, it's a drama. Well, yeah, but to me, it shares more common. I guess I said this off, so this right before we recorded, yeah. but I, it sounds it has a lot more elements of like gothic romance than it does. Well, I think noirs tend to be a little more like grounded in like reality and a little more subdued, whereas like everything this in this, this is, is like big. cranked yeah. up, like yeah. you would expect in more right. of like epic gothic tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I wouldn't call. Would you call Hitchcock thrillers noir? Because I don't think I don't know that like, I would. I feel like so depend, this is the depend. thing, right? I think so some of them. I think yeah, they're probably done some of them. But like this was an argument that I was reading online too, where it was like, is Vertigo a noir? No. And I would say no. My my response no. to that immediately would be no. Like. And that's the thing kind of with this, too. I feel like if you look at this, dare I say, abstractly from a distance, there are elements here that correspond to elements of noir. Like, if you look at this, you'd be like, a detective. Noirs have detectives. There's a period. Black and white. (laughs) Noirs have black and white. So it's sort of like, yes, there are dressings of film noir in this movie, but they don't necessarily correspond to the idea of film noir as I usually find it. I would say it invokes it aesthetically, but not necessarily narratively. Yeah. Narratively, there's a lot, because narratively you have things like, first of all, there's a lot of... Maybe you could say the framing device is noir. When you say framing device, are you referring to the 1940s stuff? Yeah. I mean, visually it's shadowy. That's the most I can say as to why it's noir. There's not like, it's shadowy and there's a murder, which are like the two things. Narratively, it does fit with noirs. It's just the way that the, everyone comports themselves is so different than a noir that... Well, feel free to totally slap this down, but, like, do noirs typically cross over into potential no. supernatural no. storylines? No. no, no, I mean, no. I'm sure there, there's probably some weird-ass example, but I can't think of any noir. I would say, in general, that's yeah. sort of outside of the noir wheelhouse. Not really. Right? Like, you have movies like Laura, where it's like, oh, this woman's supposed to have died, but it's like, no, she's not really dead. Yeah. She's just faking her death. Right. Or she was, she's not actually... Right, dead. so she's I suppose... Yeah, I suppose there could be the elements of we think it's supernatural, but in actuality, it's yeah. not. But no, but like, again, it's this you have this like magical realism sort of fantasy stuff with like reincarnation of past lives, which is right. a bunch of hokey nonsense. You have this sort of pop psychology stuff that Hitchcock did a lot of. Right. With like... Marnie is the one that I can solve your trauma by just like finding the cause of it and that's it that's it yeah then you're done done. you're good now yeah Um, but again to me it like it rings the narrative really reminds me a lot of gothic romance because you have this sort of like doomed relationship vibe with like you first of all you have elements of like well this guy is like a Tragic past, right. dark. It of has a wife that died. Right. I mean, uh, there's a lot of Rebecca in this. Yeah, there's a lot like, of you've got, you've got the creepy housekeeper. You've got sort the dead wife. There's, there's also the sense of like, uh, th- this is fated to happen. Yeah. These two people are fated to interact, and one is fated to die. It's almost like a yeah. It's almost like a sort of Rochester revive. Yeah, times right. Where it's like yeah. Right, I mean, there are elements of this that feel like they would have been close to home in Crimson Peak or something. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but it's, um, I mean, 
I, I think it was Brendan who was pointing this out a few times during, or maybe it was both Brendan and Lee, but it is just sort of like, it's just kind of different Hitchcock movies right. in the blender. Hitchcock is what, I would say it feels more like an attempt to like, Hitchcock do costumes. a postmodern Hitchcock. Didn't, didn't you say like, well at one point somebody said, I don't know who it was at this point, but it was like, Somebody watch he it's like Kenneth Branagh watched Citizen Kane and then he watched a Hitchcock movie yeah. right after it. Right. <laughs> it, was, it was like this is cinema. This, this is, is it. This is right because I mean I, the, I have to put these things both into my movie because they are both movies. Yeah, they are both, they're both cinema. Movie. I mean, there's a lot of I think like the elements of Citizen Kane that are at play here is you have like the prologue where it's you know after the crime has already happened and we're trying to work our way backward yeah. except then we go to the future and you've got like the the headlines popping right. up in the opening yeah. thing. Forever. Right. Crumbling marriage yes. between rich people. Yeah, so like there's definitely that. And then contrary wise, like Lee had said, there are a lot of elements of Hitchcock here. Like the weird sort of phobias from Vertigo. Yeah. You've got the past lives thing from, say, Marnie. You've got a lot of <laughs> right. Patrick Doyle is doing like his best Bernard Herman homage with the score, so it's pulsating <laughs> strings <laughs> and like <laughs> frantic <laughs> yeah. And I guess you do have like, you know, the weird kid with an overbearing Mom. Right. So, oh, a little bit psycho. So that's some of that in there, too. Right, yeah. I mean, it, it truly feels like he watched Susan Kane, watched Hitchcock's greatest hits, and was like, I've got a movie here. Being haunted by the ghosts of the past I also mean, feels very why MV about Vertigo and Marnie being Hitchcock's greatest hits, but for me, well, it's saboteur. I mean, I, I I do not love Vertigo, and yeah. I... The, Marnie I was... I don't either. I, yeah, I think Vertigo is thoroughly fine, is yeah. what I would yeah. say. Yeah, I haven't seen Marnie. Mar- so Marnie Marnie's is a movie I saw, and I was like... Marnie's bananas yeah, it, it was <laughs> yeah one bananas and two the premise is there is that <sighs> the main character is like a thief and like steals shit and then she tries to steal from her boss sean connery and sean connery's like i know what i'm gonna fucking do i'm gonna marry you and that'll teach you to like not steal shit so he like marries her and it's implied that he rapes her yeah and this is what starts to like cause her to regress to realize like what made me steal and it was like what happened in my past that made me want to steal and it was like oh she walked in on her mom getting, like, raped by a sailor, and then the sailor, like, tries to make a pass at her, so her mom killed the sailor, and that's, like, what caused her weird fixation with stealing shit. <laughs> and it's just... And, like, sense, right? There are a lot of people who, like, fucking love this movie online that I saw. it After I watched it, I was like, this is bad. Like, this is bad. It's, and, like, yeah. I don't want to, like, always look at art through a modern lens and be like, it's a pro- pro- problematic thing. But it's a problematic thing! I think even back then that should have been considered more problematic. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it's, even before you look at it through a modern lens, it's one of those, like, Sean Connery was capital O old. I don't think he's that old in it. It really? No. In Marnie, he, Marnie, Marnie, he, was, he, was, he was pretty young. He always really? looked old, yeah. He just looked old. He, I think he's, he's probably, probably, like, in his 30s or really? so. Really? He's yeah. also, like, oh out and out, like, it. there is no such thing as spousal rape. You should be allowed well, yeah. to be. Oh, yeah, we know he's a jerk. Like, <laughs> beyond that. Yeah, IRL, we know he's an asshole. Yeah. Anyway, so, like, Marnie was one of the big things that I kind of got from this movie as well yeah. in terms of vibes. There's a lot. There's a lot. It's primarily Hitchcockian. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what is from the horse's mouth here about the genre versus what is not in terms mm-hmm. of what Branagh was going for, what he's after. I almost thought at times did Branagh know what he was grasping for? I, don't, I think there's just there's so many like ideas and storylines and characters and motivations thrown in here it, that it felt, I don't think anyone could have one solid right. idea what they were doing. It felt because... more like a style exercise than it did like a narrative that he had thought through from beginning to middle to end yeah because there are not really 
I mean, aside, I guess, from Scissors, there's not really a, like, theme. There's not, like, a thread to the story that has resonance. When you think of the words noir and Hitchcock and uh, you throw in a little, like, hypnotism, it's just, it's just that. It's just a lot of that happening. Uh, we mentioned, like, Doug, right? This guy who comes out of nowhere and is like, oh, that's my fiance, Catherine. And then, what is that? Like, is that scene is maybe 10 minutes, not even? And not he's 10 minutes. Five, it's maybe. Like, it's, yeah. yeah, and it's just, like, plopped in the middle, and it's right. just, like... He pops up, says, this is my fiance, I can prove it. And I'm the, sure... The roundhouse kicks Kevin. It's a good transition to talk about tone, because what happens is it's a very, like... It's a scene where it's just, like, he shows up, and he you has... You think a, the movie might be taking a weird left turn, and you think, or at least, this will be an interesting red herring. But no! Yeah. Well, well it's, it's also hilarious the way it's done. Which, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's, so, it's, you just think it's going to be like a like it's just a normal conversation that plays out where it's like, oh, I I'm this is your this amnesiac woman is actually my fiance or whatever, and I have the glove to prove it, and he almost gets away with it, but the glove is for like the same hand as the one that he already owns or whatever. Mm-hmm, yeah, and so he finds out, and then this chase scene. <laughs> transitions and to talk about the tone the song that plays the score after yeah. this this is, is this again there's only like one mood for the, to, the it's score it's 11 the mood it, is 11 it, it goes it's, from like it's the rites of spring it goes from like nothing just yeah. ambient noise and like conversation to in the broad daylight just right. to chase this and it's just like two guys running down a street a wide open street not even like not even like a chase scene in the shadows through alleyways or something it's just like a fucking street in LA yeah, it's also like the least cars I've ever seen on these. Yeah, there should have been like a back of traffic like well, keeping it the whole time. They're up like Mount Washington or something. I guess where so. It's just like twistier, so yeah. And it's yeah. almost like a goofy sequence because, again, like we said, he literally like roundhouse kicks yeah. Kenneth Brown. It's not enough that he just sort of like punches him and knocks him out. He full out like kicks him in the face, basically, <laughs> which is nuts. And then he immediately like, slides down a palm tree, jumps over a fence, runs through a playground, and like I think at one point like turns around. To be like, <laughs> to Kenneth Branagh because yeah. he's running away too. He does. Which is just, just it like, does feel very much like a scene from Barry. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Or, and I feel like I brought this up while we were watching it. At, at times, it feels like it's tipping into Fatal Instinct. Yeah. Which is a is consciously a parody. Um, just because yeah. it, it, it reaches such a height, right. well, it goes so over the top. There's, there's, there's so the many other, like unintentionally hilarious things, like you know, like Wing Knights, like weird lispy whistle well, that's oh my intentional. gosh they, yeah. well, it's, intentionally did that. It, it intentionally did that but it's not I don't think supposed to be comedic but, but it is but, but it is like, like every what gets me is like the very first shots of like there are these close ups between uh Andy Garcia oh, yeah, and yeah. Kenneth Branagh oh and there's God. like a lot of them it's so dark that it's like first of all they're, they're cutting off the top of the head and it's kind of like the tip of the chin and the chin but yeah. also the lighting is such at various points that you can't even see no, Kenneth Branagh's eyes you just see his like nose and mouth yeah right but then you also have like you know the way Emma Thompson like reacts to everything, especially like when she's mute and amnesiac. She's all like big eyed and like holding her hair and like it's like this you know Faye Dunaway and Mommy Dearest like exaggerated performance and it's just like what are what are we doing? Here? Especially when we first see her in character in I guess what's supposed to be plot line or the current day timeline. I think we get introduced to her kind of like catapult style sitting up from the dream screaming and Mm. it's and to choose that as your introduction to one of the lead characters is bizarre yeah 
Also, and it was also it was totally. I mean, but, yeah. the whole ending fight sequence yeah. is laughable to me. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's not, extraordinarily bizarre. Not sequence. only is it, it's all slow mo. Yeah, and but not only do they like, is it like overlaid like fading between like the different people in the fight scene, but they overlay with like. It'll be like it's like Derek Jacoby, and then it's overlaid with like the little young Amy Nazi Derek kid. Jacoby, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's like then you have like Roman Strauss conducting because yeah. he has this bombastic skull. Because right. it's like as if he's and doing I, the opera. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so like if he was, he is doing the score to the movie. I, score I do by the Roman score Strauss. As we do it. Yes. <laughs> um, so all the other characters show up like, hey, try to tune it down a little bit. He's like, sorry. I, yeah. I know that we were obviously the mo- the funniest use of slow mo is that. The, the big finale kill of just like right. the I mean, incredibly like, slow high jump down onto the the scissor sculpture, the scissor sculpture but my absolute favorite use of slow-mo in that whole sequence is just when Kenneth Branagh he gets shot and then he throws himself in slow motion back onto this bookcase that only goes back like it kind of just goes like you're kind of preparing yourself because oh if this is slow-mo we're probably going to do like a big grand like fall to the floor well it hits the wall no it just kind of goes bonk yeah (laughs) it's also just it's not a logically like motivated placement for slow-mo either the shelf is flush against the wall or it's in the middle of a room. Why is it like? Why is it like five inches? Or you have like an aisleway between like that and another right. shelf. Yeah. I think Maybe yeah. It's I, not big I think for it's a like person. it's trying to like separate the room, right? Like if we put a bookshelf right here by where the light switch is, I think is what Emma Thompson was going yeah. for. Yeah, I think so. But it, I think the way you see it, it's not blocked in a way that that makes no. no it, sense. It's not. Yeah. I mean, I, I get that. That's probably what the intention was. Yeah. But. Yeah. Isn't it also crazy that that whole thing happens because Kenneth Branagh just wants to tell her that he's figured it out and the way that he does that is to basically Raining run around screaming. acting yeah. really aggressive and raving and just pounding on the window. Let me in! Let in! Kick the door in. And right. you also know, you know that she thinks that yeah. you're coming to and kill her. Right. While she's, she's aiming... aiming thrust all these scissors at her. Yeah. Right. And then while she's aiming a gun at you, you reach into your car. Right, you're like, look at this! Yeah. Like, that's when you say, reach into my pocket, right. grab the bracelet or the oh, ankle yeah. or whatever the fuck it was. Or maybe you don't come in so fucking hot. Right, like, <laughs> you could still scream outside the window and be like, hey, I'm sorry if I scared you, but let me lay out what, what is happening here. Right, I think I figured it right. out. Yeah. If you want, I can put the ankle through the mail slot and you can examine it to ensure that I tell you the truth. I don't, I don't know. know. But she I mean, picks I guess it up as she, if it tells her everything. I guess it's just that she remembers the anklet, know. so the fact that... And I guess he got it from Derek Jack or something? His mom, Derek Jacoby's mom. Oh, that's right. Yeah. right. Well, I guess the anklet would have only been owned by Margaret. Well, because right. he Derek steals Jacobi's, it. When he was a kid, was like rifling yeah, through yeah, drawers, yeah. so he took the anklet. Yeah, right. Well, right. he. I thought he took it after. He took it after she died. That's yeah. right. Because that's I. I totally missed the meaning that it was thought to be a burglary. Apparently, which I think yeah. is even weirder that like if it was thought to be a burglary, we then were like, but it wasn't a burglary. It was a murder. Why would you not just assume it's a murder in the first place when you walk in and see Kenneth Branagh holding scissors, right. screaming, "Why?" <laughs> to like his dead wife. I also love how he's holding the scissors too. He's holding them as if he's just gotten done stabbing her right. because his hands wrapped around yeah. the base, of course, with the point out. Like, like he can't just pick them up and be like, "Oh my god, he right. has to." holding them in the same pose so that when someone else runs into the room they're like my god he's holding the scissors as though he stabbed her yeah it's it's really ridiculous yeah i I, again other i do agree the the two slow-mo shots at the end 
terrible. Like, terrible. Not really, it's just awful. Like, I just again, you feel like it's kind of brought up being like, I need the most dramatic, like, near death sequence, so we're going to slow mo it as I fall it, back, arms akimbo. It also just it reads as a joke, right? And, and it's I think especially to be. the Derek Jacoby one reads as so much of a oh joke, where like it literally feels like Kenneth Branagh <laughs> is moving <laughs> in standard motion, and, and Derek Jacoby's like, right, like, like, like leaps like a flying yes, squirrel, right. arms, arms spread out, and so he can come down in exactly the right position to be impaled by this scissor sculpture. This really sets up the importance of timing your sequence appropriately because the way that it plays, I'm pretty sure the way that it plays, it's you see Derek Jacoby just running towards him. He has not begun his leap yet when Kenneth Branagh thinks, okay, I'm going to get the scissors into position. Right. And then Jared, they, they cut to Derek Jacoby seeming to clock this, and it's as if he's like, well, I'm committed to this motion. Yeah. I cannot stop. Well, also, he's like, a tiny man, so you would have to jump. Yeah. Also, the like, angle is like, uh, when Kenneth Branagh is like moving the thing into position, the angle on him is so high. Right. And I'm like, like wait, this. Yeah. where is Jared Jacoby? Right. I don't it's, know where anyone the exact right angle to be impaled upon. Yeah, they're also too. they're acting as if he's jumping down from like a balcony, a balcony yeah. or something, yeah, right. but it's really just the other side of the room. Yeah, he's just I, kind I of think like there's like a stair or two up to like okay, it's elevated like what is it like, a, like, a, like a, a conversation a six foot drop conversation dance. Listen, we need to have this conversation above the rest of the room. Everyone pipe down. I mean, I, uh, like, place to announce things. Yeah. <laughs> in my head, I feel like there's definitely a way you could have that happen and film and stage it in a way that wouldn't be quite so goofy. I think, for one, you just wouldn't do it in slow motion. I think it would just be sort of designed like to be like a quick spur on a thing where he just like sees the sculpture, shoves it real quick, and, 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 and like kicks it up, right. and, like thrusts, yeah, it, right. or, like, it, yeah, and, and like, it all just happens so quickly that you don't even have time to clock full like what quite is happening, mm. and so you don't have time to sit there and register how goofy everyone's face. So Goofy. Well, and I, I also, to pull back just a little bit, I think it's also a symptom of there just being, like, zero restraint in this movie, because yeah. they're like, uh, I'm it's just... so goofy up to this point, like, it has to be this goofy. Right, yeah. basically. Well, and it's especially that this is happening in an apartment that is just wall-to-wall scissor right. art. Girl not, loves her scissors. Not art made with scissors, although maybe. Just art of scissors. And I just love that they spent all of, what, five seconds thinking of, like, okay, well, this, <laughs> this is a woman <laughs> with a scissor murderer inside of her. What is she... What kind of art does she make? Does she ever... I don't know, like, of people... Well, they said she used seascapes. Oh, right. Yeah, and then she'd be, like, she started having... And then she went to her scissor period. <laughs> <laughs> That artists will, historians will later describe as her Spotify playlist. All scissors. All scissors. <laughs> it's all just scissors. Sisters. Sisters. I made that joke and everyone just talked over it. Chris ruined it. Play it back. The audio got me. Like we'll it's like we'll confirm the song "One Armed Scissor" by uh, Drive. <laughs> Lee, you had pointed out earlier, also when we were watching this, that it would entirely make more sense if Kenneth Branagh's character is the one who has a weird fixation with scissors. Yes. Versus Emma, like, it's strange that Emma Thompson's character, who is past Kenneth Branagh, yeah. is so obsessed with scissors. Oh. And I get that he thinks that someone stabbed his wife with scissors, yeah. but you would think it would be entirely more traumatic to the one who was stabbed with exactly. scissors. And Kenneth Branagh, if, if you were Roman Strauss... And you found that body. Uh-huh. You must know that it was Frankie, right? Who you the fuck else would be? Well, I mean, that's right. Like, there are two... He's the one saying it was a robbery because the anklet was gone. But also, you have this lady and this kid And a creepy house. kid, yeah. Yeah, but he wouldn't... 
he wouldn't he not want to say it was Frankie because of some weird abil- inability to like even in in the in the end that he murdered his wife to be like I can't say that he, I can't Frankie, sell like, out these people right yeah I'm still I'm still too grateful yeah, yeah still so. I have this like life debt to them yeah. so I can't like have him arrested but like again I wish we knew more I, again we don't really know like enough about what the fuck happened in the aftermath of that murder and right. it's really bad like it's in making these topics we're kind of focusing on like. <laughs> What the way this movie was made, not what what it's about. Right, it's about wacky shit. Yeah, it's very hard. <laughs> it to... is worth talking about a little bit because it's it's a kind of messy. Like, what did he do in, after he got arrested? There's there's a lot of like messy know. logic. It feels like it's one of those things where everything you don't story. see happening yeah. is like such a bizarre thing that you want to see happen. Yeah, well, we see that he went to jail and he kissed Andy Garcia. <laughs> yeah, and then he and quickly he... had like a fantasy sequence of him stabbing. His wife. But that was just a nightmare. Right, because yeah. that was her nightmare. So her nightmare was of him in jail kissing Andy Garcia. And then, and then, and then murdering yeah, him? Yeah, and then she then, then she was like watching this happen and she's like, oh god, get to the murder shit already. Well, if she was him, I then it the makes movie... sense that her nightmare is of about him. him. Right, that's true. That's fair. But the thing about like him meeting Andy Garcia and kissing him is real because when we see Andy Garcia in that god-awful old age makeup, he was yeah. like, he kissed me and I never wrote again, which... Why? Why? Like, yeah. What? Like what? It was. What does this have to do with anything? He was too busy. Thinking <laughs> it was about Andy Garcia's day not... awakening. Like, <laughs> he was sitting on his bed, kicking his feet. Like, should yeah. I call him? <laughs> but if he was like just yeah, he was like too busy trying to figure out if he was gay to write anymore. This is also I to just take this moment to talk about how we see most people two ways. We see them in the 1940s, and then we also see them in the present-day timeline. And some people's old-age makeup is more natural than others, perhaps. Well, I mean, some of them are just entirely different actors. Like, with Derek Jacoby, it's obvious you have a kid in the past. With Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson, they're the same actors, because they're the same... You Which, know, I, it's so funny well, to me whenever everyone's like, but... you look kind of like this person. You look exactly yeah. like them! Right. We have extensive ph- photographs of these people in the past. Like, you can clearly yeah. see that this is they you. have the same face. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's like, again, the rules are unestablished. And it, we've talked about uh, off-camera, off-mic, um, how behind the scenes, it wasn't always going to be they were going to be played by the same people initially. It was like, we're going to have different people play Roman and Margaret than mm-hmm. play Mike and... Grace Amanda slash Amanda, slash Grace. yeah. Which makes sense, because I don't think in this universe, in the world of this movie, they're not saying that you always look like the person, which you don't because these right. people are, the whole point is that they're gender swapped. Right, and it's just entirely weird that they were gender swapped into yeah. a person who looks exactly like the other person, yeah. too. Which yeah. makes it even weirder, frankly, that it's the same actor. Yeah, but I, I, think, I think it's one of those things that you have to just ignore and not think about, and then it's just like a weird artistic choice the movie makes, and, and not... A t- a, it's, I, I think that the movie should not comment about it at all. Like, it just should be... It should be a thing that exists. Like, you know, you should see pictures of these people. But nobody... It shouldn't be relevant to the plot, for sure. And nobody should point out in the movie that they look like the person from the past. Because that takes you out of the movie and it makes you think, like, why why do they look alike? Because this would not be the case with every reincarnated self. But it's just one of those inconsistencies made possible by the fact that they... Kenneth Brown, I wanted them to be played by the same people. There are only a couple faces available from God. They're <laughs> yeah. all reincarnated into some there face of somebody else. Listen, there's exactly seven yeah. faces and bodies out there, and you just cycle through those. I think if you um, watch a lot of trash, like I do, you just come to accept mm. these things, and you just move on. Yeah. <laughs> you just move, you're just like, okay, whatever. I, I know this is not how it's normally work. This is just like a stupid thing. 
It definitely shouldn't be, like, it's bad that the movie then has people actively talk about, why you look like that person? Like, that's the worst thing the movie does. I think I'd be yeah. fine with it if they just had the same people play them and, and nobody talked about it. Trying to explain it usually draws more attention yes. to it yes. than needs to happen. Just have it happen and, and just to not talk about it. Like, I think it's fine that they're playing each other. It's fine, but I don't... Yeah, I, I almost wonder if there's a way you could do it without any photos of them in the present day. Like, if you could figure out some way around it so that you don't have characters holding up Life magazine being like, yeah, like and this you. is them. Well, yeah. just, like, make yeah. the historical time period, like, older. Like, if this was, like, the 1800s or something... Mm. I mean, there was photography then, but, like, less of it. So it would be more likely, like, oh, I read these stories about these people and this happens to them. And I mean, it's portraits. People, famous people have yeah. portraits. Yeah, true. I mean, maybe they just And then Derek Jacoby would have to be, like, 150. Oh, yeah. good point. <laughs> but in any case... It's an awkward thing about the movie, but um, it's it's one that the movie doesn't handle well because they, they point, have to point out how they look like the people from the past, and it's like, no, don't do that. <laughs> it's not supposed to be the thing anyway. Well, I mean, it's like, like what I said. You, you either have to, like, fully commit to it, or, like, yeah. people don't look at them and be like, hey, you look like them. They're like, yeah. I see a little resemblance here when it's like the same person, right? Because like, what's weird to me is that it wasn't always, the, if that wasn't always the case, because in the movie, isn't that how hypnotism boy finds quote unquote? Yeah, movies? ostensibly like it's because he saw the picture. Yeah. yeah he saw or at the least picture. he says, he says that so when how, he saw the picture before, of Grace, he knew that what was going yeah, on. Yeah, but yeah. before Grace was being played by the same person as mm-hmm. the modern day in the past, how was he supposed to have found her? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Different I mean, I, or it, it could be any contrivance as to why he felt like he could literally just be like, I'm an expert in hypnotherapy. I heard about your crazy case that you're working on, and I decided to see if I could help. Like, yeah, there's any how... contrivance you could come up with. Yeah, I get, but that's what I'm saying. Like, you, it should have just been that anyway. Why yeah. would you change? If you were going to. Why would you do that? Why would you make it based on the appearance? Why wasn't it like, oh, she was blathering about scissors, and right. these are for you, and he's right. like, aha. Aha, like words I remember. Yes. I remember saying that before I stabbed her. Right, you know? I, I shan't tell anyone, but I'm going to secretly yes. insert myself into the situation. So why would it ever? Why would you ever make that a plot point? Yeah. <laughs> when it shouldn't be. Well, yeah, one of many miscalculations that yeah. go on here. Does anyone have anything about the, the, the plot of this movie before we move on to acting? I mean, there's just there's just a lot of I I will say this. Messy. Yeah. I don't hate the ideas necessarily. I just think there's such a great number of them that it doesn't feel like any of them had a snowball's chance in hell of being developed. You can't like develop them, and you can't like resolve them because. Or, or even, like, connect them well, because no. they're all just yeah. kind of, like, thrown together, and it kind of seems There are... Like, I will say, yeah, finish your thoughts, sorry. It was just like, like it just needed a significant amount of editing, like, before it even, like, got I mean, it's, shot. Yeah. Like, the script yeah. is a mess. It's so. the Coco Chanel thing again, like, take off two accessories yeah. before you leave the house. Take out two subplots or Hitchcock references before you shoot your movie. It's just crazy, because I, I, I mean... That is, I guess, one aspect of noir it definitely strays from is it is not very spare or restrained or... No, I mean, again, that's why it feels like it's unfair to call this movie even a neo-noir because there is nothing like as subtle as the noir genre usually is. This is all heightened and amped up to 11. It's not even playing with black and white in an interesting way or with shadows. So the other thing is too, and I don't know if you know this, is that originally the scenes in the past were going to be in color. Oh, yeah. And audiences were confused by this. Aye, that makes sense. So they... They put them in black and white and then like... 
like the production designer was mad. Right. The costume designers were mad. So like, we would have like done this differently had yeah. we known this because like you know right. there are certain colors that you would use for a black and white thing because right. they'll you know that they'll turn up they'll look better in black and white or like you'll light it differently because of black and white and here was literally just in post well, everything black and white it was awful black and white photography for the well i mean part. it's i don't think it's awful but it is very sort of like dark and flat yes um the the thing that i would say is i I can see why people would, in theory, be confused by this, but I don't see how you could be confused between modern day and the forties. Like, oh, the, I, I just don't understand what would confuse people you are so. Stupid. Right. I, I, I know that they often are. It just seems that like it's not like this is something they're and they're cutting there's... back between something that happened a month ago. You're and dealing the with like day. also like in one of them, Kenneth Branagh is German. Right. And Emma Thompson's brother. And his hair looks different. Yeah. And he has a beard. And her hair looks different. Right. And they're wearing period clothes. So I don't know. I don't want to say that, again, people are Um, stupid, but people people are are stupid. stupid. My thought about the plot is that there are, like, a lot of ideas. Less about the plot itself, but uh, my final thought about the plot is that there there are, like, a lot of ideas and themes thrown around that I I could use uh, pruning of a lot of them that I don't think, like, all fit or or I don't think they all make sense in the movie. Like... I think fate is fine. I think like I think this movie kind of revolves around the idea that like history is going to repeat itself, which it kind of does because, or sort of does, sort not of, really, yeah, in a in a weird way. But um, I the 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 whole like like I don't really understand. Like it's Cozy Carlisle is such a weird character, and there are those bits where like they, he talks to him for advice, and Cozy Carlisle is like reincarnation is all about like being able to like. Get karmic get revenge. Karmic on, revenge. Yeah. I'm like, what? That yeah. doesn't sound like a. That doesn't sound no, like. This is where this is like. I think I'll get a second opinion yeah, on this one. Yeah. Doc, I'm gonna get a second opinion yeah. on what karma is. And then he's like, yeah, I think you should absolutely kill her. Right, at the end, yeah, at the end, he's like, the only solution is to shoot Emma Thompson. Kent Frost's like, what? He's like, yep, gotta kill her. I mean, they never get... Kent just like, oh, that's... Ooh, I don't know. I don't know about <laughs> that one. I, I don't think this is meant to be the case, but at times I did wonder, I was like, is Cozy in on this at, with Derek Jacoby? Yeah, well, I mean, no right. Right. I mean, this is the thing. This is the thing that sort of I had said too. Is that again, if we're going to the idea that this is somehow cribbing from noir with noir, there's usually a central mystery, usually revolving around who killed True. such a person or something like that. And so for this one, I guess, I guess there is a central mystery, sort of, about who killed. What, what was her name in the past? Mar- Margaret Strauss. Margaret Strauss. Who killed Margaret Strauss? And so, like, I guess that's kind of, like, that's, I guess that's a bigger question. Like, is the movie trying to solve the mystery of who killed Margaret Strauss? Is that incidental? Like, is that the main focus? Is the main focus these characters being reincarnated and the mystery is kind of incidental? So the only thing I would have to say about this is that if this is a mystery and if this is something you want to focus on, I think it becomes, through the law of conservation of characters, very clear who has to be the person who killed her in the past. Yeah. Because you only see like three other people repeatedly in this movie right like you have other characters like there's the nun in the beginning and the father in the beginning like maybe if they kept showing up you might suspect them but as it stands it's really only Wayne Knight Derek Jacoby and um, Robin Williams and so Robin Williams is too young to have been alive then Wayne Knight is too young to have been alive then by the process of elimination Derek Jacoby could have been a child then I feel like it becomes very easy to work out the solution to this murder mystery so if the murder mystery is indeed something that's getting a central focus on here, it's too fucking easy to solve. And so I don't know if maybe that's why all oh, there's this flashback and flash forward or reincarnation, if it's there almost to like distract you from how thin yeah. and facile the mystery yeah. is. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like if this mystery is supposed to matter, it has to be done in a lot more interesting way. Like Robin Williams is a potentially interesting red herring, but again, as I said, you have to rule him out almost immediately because he like he can't have killed her. 
Yeah. And I, it pains me to say this, but his character is kind of extraneous. I mean, for the most part, yeah. There, there, there's like a few things he drops he in. He is a like he he is the facilitator of many necessary info drops that you can't right. get because the only other source for them is the killer. Right. Yeah. So, and yeah. Yeah. And so, so I think again, also that's why he feels kind of like a red herring because he knows about. Yeah. This sort but there's of stuff. also just there's so much extraneous information about him. It's like I mean, obviously, like not every detail in a movie needs to like move the plot forward, but. It's just, like, there's stuff about, like, him and his past... He slept with at least one Yeah, like, patient. his past patients, but now he works in this Grocery. butcher shop that looks like it was, like, designed by Peter Greenaway. And <laughs> then, like... But also, there's other scenes, like, throughout this that just go on way too long that add nothing. Like, when he's trying to take Emma Thompson to the restaurant, and there's this whole dialogue about, like, no, we're closed, and we lost our liquor license because of the neighbors. It's like, this does not right. enhance the setting right. or I mean, that's definitely here. something that, like, feels extraneous and should not have been left in the finished film. Mm. Like, I do think that you need characters like Robin Williams in this, too, and I feel like maybe he could have been introduced in a better way or something, or maybe he's someone Kenneth Branagh already knows, and he's not, like... Right, so that way you don't have to do the whole, like, like, are you this guy? This guy who was like left in this guy's will? We've got money for you, so you don't yeah. do that whole fucking dance. It would, it would probably make sense if he was like a common confidant, like Wayne Knight seems to be. Right. Like, it's like, here's the newspaper guy I go to. Here's like yeah. the right. other guy who knows like people on the street. Right. And like, and like he, he is <laughs> really right. smart. As a side note, he lost his job years ago because he sucked one of his patients. And like, that's fine. That's good local color. But like, it feels like. It's good local color. Yeah. <laughs> But it's like, why are you going back to this guy for so much? Like, it just feels like it should be someone you already know and have a relationship with and know that he is a source of information for this sort of shit. If we're going to be working on this mystery of who killed her, we need more people who were alive at that time to show up as characters. Like, Christine Abersall in old lady makeup should have shown up at what? one point, you know? What a missed opportunity, because she's, like, such a... She's kind of our entryway into that story for a hot second in the past. A little bit, yeah. Where she's wearing Andy Garcia. There's, there's like, like, Otto, who's, like, hosting the party too right. and, and, and like I mean it just feels like there are any number of characters who could have been alive at that time who should have popped up in this to at least you know give you a little bit of diversion or to like be vaguely suspicious and be like ah maybe Ebersol killed her because she was jealous because right. she took a film role or some dumb shit Re I don't know remember that like really weird beginning of the auto party thing and because you start on a like a pretty wide shot of everyone at this kind of Gatsby-ish party it's all black and white as well yeah and because I think as a result of it being transferred to black and white without it originally intended to be in black and white it's a little flat it's very yeah. flat and it's it doesn't have a lot of dimension so at first it's hard to tell what's going on but as it's zooming in you start to tell that they're just everyone in the scene except for Otto who is dead center is stock still and they're in some kind of like dramatic, dramatic pose, pose. Yeah. Yeah. and it feels like, like, like Busby Berkeley yes! yes! no, it does feel like a choreographed routine and, or something but then he's just like the, the posse may be then or whatever <laughs> and so and then everyone's like woo party but it just it felt like such a bizarrely choreographed yeah. moment yeah I mean again I feel like that goes back to like what Kenneth Branagh is trying to achieve in terms of this sort of like heightened over-the-top reality and I, I that that's something that he's kind of weirdly interested in in 
several of his movies that I've seen. Like, he's not really... When he tries to be grounded, I think it just comes off as boring. But when he tries to go over the top, he goes over the top. <laughs> and so you've got things like um, the, the Mary Shelley Frankenstein, which is, like, even more over the top than this is. Where, so like, about the, the camera time. fucking never sits still for a second in that movie. It doesn't sit still in Thor. I've yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. I forgot about Thor. But yes. Oh, man, you're right. Guys, we gotta move on. Yeah, Although it does, it does you have to move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm just saying in terms of tone, like, Kenneth Branagh is not, I think, a director who excels with, like, executing... He's good like at the... things that are supposed to be very theatrical. <coughs> yes. Otherwise. Shakespeare. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, let's start with uh, Top of the Line. we got Branagh. Kenny B. He's bad. Bad. He's yeah. honestly very bad. I mean, just, not even just the accent's bad. It's just Although the accent, the accent is, is bad. very yeah. bad. The accent is very bad. It just makes the bad performance worse. There are line readings of his that honestly sound like he was trying for like a Long Island accent. And I mean, it's so weird to hear it when what's supposed to be... LA. The the accent for me mostly just feels like a high schooler trying to do like an adult in a like a straight play or something. But I feel like it's and a like, young shoe voice. Right. And so it's it's like very sort of like this. We're all talking like we're yeah. adults here. What's Strauss? Is Strauss any better? Strauss is fine. I think probably just because he is, you know, British, that maybe he's a little bit more familiar it with a German, yeah, with a German-speaking English accent. The German accent is gentler. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, does, it doesn't feel as fake, even though, like, we know it's not his real accent. Right. But I, th- I do think he is better in those scenes, yes. but... Yeah. I mean, so is she. And I mean, again, maybe it is just a tone thing where this character is a little bit more cool than Kenneth Branagh's Mike character, who's a little bit more, like, shouty and big. <laughs> He's yeah. very wound up. Yes, he Mike is. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, again... Wound, wound up is about his antique furniture. <laughs> <laughs> Mike is, like, a as a character, is, like, a series of New York-esque, like, stereotypes. Right. Right. Vaguely city stereotypes. Yeah, yeah. like we had said, hey. there's a lot of weird sort of like vaguely New York elements of this movie, which just kind of feels like it's because it's a director who's not from here, who yeah. is like probably familiar <laughs> with American culture from movies, yeah. and is like unable to distinguish what is LA culture versus what is New York culture. Yeah. So it's all just kind of like this heightened sort of American I, grab bag. I think asked, this was his first American project. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Was it really? He walked around LA streets like asking for like how to get to like places in Manhattan. <laughs> as, for, as, for, as, yeah, he was like, "What's the way to Carnegie Hall?" And they're all like, "It's in New York." He's like, "No, practice, practice, practice!" <laughs> and he laughs and runs away. Aren't I an American? <laughs> His accent suggested an older time period to me. So it was initially when I was first watching this, it was very confusing to me what time the current timeline yeah. was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And I get that it was supposed to, I guess, be the early '90s, like yeah. when the movie came out. But his accent sounds so not of the '90s. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, because it's supposed to like evoke the genres of film. That's that so he's confusing. Well, evoke. again, because it sounds like if one of us was trying to do like an old timey New Yorker, right? Know, yeah, yeah, we would sound like Kenneth Branagh. Yes. Sort of sounds like We're a New used... Yorker. Hey, yeah. my detective agency <laughs> over here. Emma Thompson not great either, honestly. Well, I think Emma Thompson doesn't really get a chance uh, she's, to do she's, a whole lot. She's screwed more by the writing and yeah. the direction. Absolutely, but <laughs> like I, I don't think she's actively bad in this. I just don't think she's playing a character. Yeah, but she's not given a character to. She's play, kind of a MacGuffin so. with lions, really. Yeah. I guess yeah. not she's a MacGuffin, kind of like, but here's the sexy lamp. Like, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it's also so. Uh, I think you were pointing this out, Lee. It's so unnecessary to have her be mute. Yeah, for any I, amount of time. There's no need for her to be mute because she's amnesiac. In amnesiac, so she doesn't have any useful information. Right, it's not like she could tell you if only she could speak. So the only thing that that really does is make sure that she leaves almost no impression as a character. Yeah, so basically you you get nothing 
you you get nothing by making her mute, and what you lose is a character from her. Right. You all you get from her is that she's like constantly scared. And yeah. like, this is all we know. She kind of gives you a little more in the in the nineteen forties scenes, but she, she has also more like, just yeah. doesn't have as much to do. I mean, she has more yeah. emotions to play in the nineteen forties because like she's a little bit mad at the housekeeper, right. and then she's mad at Kenneth Branagh when he wants to go to that party, and like there are like. But even then, she's... Elements. She, it's so, there's so, scenes are quite sparse. Yeah. yeah. And I don't get a really strong sense of her character. Because the scenes are so sort of few and far between in the past, it's really hard to kind of get a grasp really on who they are as characters. Yeah. And, like, it feels it feels like every time we cut back to her, it's just sort of like, now, wait, why was she mad about something? Right. Like, like what, yeah. what did we find out and that I'm upset really, I'm her? I'm not really sure how mad she is ever at the house Right. Like... Or how upset she is with Roman, or why she's upset with Roman. Yeah, she and, seems to love Roman the whole time. Right, and there's so many like weird little elements where she's like, "You didn't tell me that like your wife died or something like that. And that's yeah. where all your money came from." It's just sort of like, "Oh, should we care about that?" And the answer is like, "No, not really. Well, it doesn't also, really matter." Like at no moment do I ever think that she and Andy Garcia are getting together ever, and it's just so clearly not happening. So the never, fact ever, that ever. <laughs> never, never ever, ever, ever are we getting together? Um, together. Just so when when Strauss is like. Getting Flying all the upset yeah. about it, you're just like, Calm like down, what are we doing? Yeah. Like, this is no, dumb. It, like, yeah. it makes his character look worse, I think, because yeah. it makes yeah. him look like a jealous psychopath. It makes him look nuts, which is like, I mean... Which I, I guess maybe, again, is like a sort of a red herring thing, where like, I he, guess. Oh, he killed her because he was he's jealous. so possessive, yeah, but yeah. like, it doesn't make him likable or interesting. And I also no. wouldn't say that that was like enough, I, I didn't see that from him enough to be like, oh, he was, like, a violent guy. Or, like, mm. oh, this is who he was, so clearly he was the killer. Like, there was never a moment where I believed for even the hottest of seconds that he was her killer. Like, it just didn't make sense. Yeah, right. Yeah. Derek Jacoby? Um, having some fun. Yeah, he is having fun. Having yeah. a little bit of fun. He's very subtle. Yeah. Yeah. You know. I, I think he, he kind of, like, I think he gets what Kenneth Branagh wants to do yeah, with the yeah. movie in terms of, like, tone. He so he's, he's playing, like, he's playing, like, a little hammy, but not yeah. over-the-top hammy. Yeah, he's playing, like, yeah, like a... That's he's a nice like, ham and cheese. nibbling at that scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not devouring the scenery. Yeah. He's not, just a little, a little taste. Yeah. It's not like it's devoid of... Of teeth marks, yeah. And they're like, <laughs> and like I think there are like little fun elements to his character that he's yes. like kind of obsessed with. Like he's, even when he's putting Emma Thompson under hypnosis, he's like, and if you notice any fascinating object on it's like be sure to tell me what they yeah. were. Yeah, so that was like, fun. like I sort of love the, the idea that he's just like so obsessed with all of his antiques. And like again, when like Kenneth Branagh tries to leave with the magazine, he's like, ah, uh, seventeen fifty. Yeah, there was <laughs> that. Was, I liked that too. There was also a thing with I think his mom Inga says this at one point. She talks about taking him to a hypnotherapist who was also an antiquer who knew about past life regression and you're just like what and she says it as if like so clearly you know the hypnotist so clearly about off on him right and i'm just like so that's where this bizarre combination of interest comes from listen it's a natural gateway if it's a, <laughs> it's the gateway hypnotism is the gateway drug into antiquing <laughs> thing, parents please don't send your children to a hypnotist if yeah. you don't want them to end up as antiquers I see yeah. I see a Tiffany lamp. <laughs> <laughs> it's just once you start, once you open that door, you can't close it. Anymore. They're gonna be like these magpies for things for their from their past lives. Right. It's just like I saw this table and now I must hunt it down on eBay. Yeah, that <laughs> sounds like a much better movie to be honest with you. Um, Wayne Knight having some fun. 
Yeah, it's, oh it's my God. like, I, I don't get why, why his why character whistling? whistles. Like, I guess it's sort of like a fun little trait, but it's, again, so it's like, it feels like something that, like, David Lynch would do in a movie or yeah. something yes. like that. And it's it's a strange little detail here. And again, like Faye said earlier, like, I don't need, it's not like, you know, the whistle must inform his character. Like, sometimes it's just a little quirk that they it's have. Flavor. But it yeah. is just such a strange little element to his character I that it, it, it's sort of... I, I don't know. It pops in not entirely a good way, but the, in a noticeable way. The yeah. first time I watched this, the moment where Wayne Knight comes in at the, in the finale sequence. With his Domino's he pizza. He suddenly bursts through the door holding a pizza. And the fact he's doing this in the middle of the one of the craziest <laughs> scenes. And then he just immediately drops the pizza and like spear tackles get it brought up. Like noises off. I laughed yeah. yes. so hard because it felt like it felt like a joke. I mean, it felt like a community force moment. What? The community. <laughs> yeah, walking back in with the yeah. pizza. Yeah. 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 I mean, you gotta sort of respect him, though, to be fair. You just come up thinking, like, oh, my friend and I are gonna share a pizza. And, like, you open the door, and, like, people are pulling knives at each other, and you're immediately just like, nope, gotta tackle this guy. Like, good on you, you know? Yeah. You react well. And then, I guess, finally... Um, well, two finally is Andy Garcia, for one. Well, Andy Garcia, I don't know who else you want to talk about. Robin Williams. Oh, sure, 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 yeah. sure. Uh, um, Ebersol's fascinator. Uh, no, I, so Andy Garcia, first of all, super hot in the past. Yeah, yeah. Um, looking I'll great. Agree. I feel like his character is largely unnecessary to the movie. I mean, I don't. Again, I think he's there. Again, he's there. I guess because you want to think that Roman could have potentially killed his wife yep. because so he's, he's jealous, and he's someone who was there in the past and can give us information. Right, and that. again, he shows up in the present day, which is more than a lot of the other characters. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was so. It was really crazy how bad that old age makeup was. On oh no, it's terrible. And again, especially because you see another character in old age makeup later, looks and hers looks fairly normal. Like his literally looks like a goblin or something. <laughs> like it's it's so or, heightened. Again, it looks like a joke. It, yeah. And it, and just the fact that the whole like give me a cigarette. I'm not gonna give you a, give me a cigarette. I'm not gonna give you a cigarette. And then he like he Smokes inhales. Throat, he just yeah. looks it through his throat, which is just a funny weird moment. And then he just goes, he didn't tell me anything. It's just, it's it's funny. Like, how did you, how did you shoot this scene and not get that it was funny? Yeah. There's a lot of, <laughs> I, I was just sort of like looking at this on Letterboxd because I was curious what other people think about movies whenever we do shit like this. And there are a lot of people who keep referring to this as camp. And I feel like this is a discussion we had no. with, Dr with Bram Stoker's Dracula. So, I mean, if you're getting camp, again, one, this is not intentional camp. This is no. not meant to be campy. Well, this is meant to be like, again, like we said, heightened if, or stylized. If we go back to the Susan Sontag definition of camp, which, it's never intended. Which, again, I don't agree with because that's... Of course, camp can be intended. I, I think it's, it can be. It's hard to do intended. Right, I think, yeah, I think. And for have it still be successful. Right, I mean, like, again, like John Waters, Little Shop of Horrors, there's right. a lot of examples of people making. Organic, camp. intentional. Right. Camp. This uh, one, not meant to be camp. I'm 100% positive. I, I see what people are grasping for and that it's unintentionally funny, but that doesn't make it camp. Like, yeah. I would say The Room is unintentionally camp. Yeah, I think I would The Room say is camp. Yeah. unintentionally camp. Sorry, so Robin Williams, then, I yeah. guess. I think he's good. good. I agree. Yeah. He's given crazy things to say. Yeah, I mean, like, his character is... <laughs> he's having... Yeah. Weird and disconnected. Yeah. His character is, like... There's layers to his character that we never get to see. Right. Which yeah, I, I kind of like. I think, like, that. that's a good example of, like, coloring a character. I, yeah, I don't know if that's Robin Williams or writing or what, but that's... Yeah, There's that's the most... It's... That's the character. Like, yeah, I, like I want the character. Right, I want the movie because I, I, say, I, I want the a movie about his character. Except <laughs> his character in The Fisher King is also a psychiatrist who is 
becomes disgraced. Yeah. So I was like, oh, we have that movie. Already. I mean, a lot of this but... on Robin Oi's part feels like a tee up to play characters who he would play more often. Like yeah. later on the night, he's like, you've got yeah. this, uh, Insomnia, like, Fisher King, obviously. Like, one hour photo. photo. Like, it feels uh, like this is Robin Williams dipping his toe in the pool of playing someone who's like listener. a little bit funny, but also like creepy and weird. All in all, a good performance, good performance. performance. I think like you can compare it sort of to Piccolo Pete, where it's like the little things I get about this character make him more interesting. The little mm-hmm. things with Piccolo Pete, I'm more like, well, why? Why? <laughs> yeah. So I, I think like if everyone had been executed as skillfully as Robin Williams was, and again, it's probably partly performance, probably partly the character as written, mm. it would have been a more effective uh, world that we were living in, I think. Mm-hmm. Before we do look at the score, round robin, do you want to talk about one thing we liked about the movie? Oh, yeah, okay. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've said this before, I'll say it again for my fixes. The thing that I like most about this movie, which is why I suggested it, I think, is uh-huh. I'm really fascinated by the choice to have the reincarnation be opposite genders, mm-hmm. opposite sexes. I wish that they did more with that. Uh, I wish that that mattered more <laughs> than just, like, a plot twist of, like, who we think killed who and it doesn't matter because neither killed the other. Right. It really just... It, 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 it's really more of a misdirect. Yeah, it's, it ends up a misdirect anyway. I mean, but the, yeah, because that's the thing. Because this movie could still exist almost entirely the same if the gender swap didn't happen. Exactly. Yeah. Correct. Like, it almost has no effect on the movie except to be like, well, you didn't think Yeah. It was just another way to throw you off the scent momentarily. Yeah, I yeah. but I, I'm fascinated by that and I wish more was done with that, but I, I really liked that element of it. That's me. I agree with you. Honestly, that would be mine too. Yeah. I agree with you completely. Uh, I guess mine would be... I don't I think in a way this is bad, but also as somebody who used to work in production design, I love the <laughs> absurdly overwrought scissor art. <laughs> just because, like, this, I can think yo. about like, being the person to create all of that and do, like, the Salvador Dali scissors. The and melting the, scissors, the, yeah. Like, the they creation of man scissors. Like, the coffee table that it's is two scissors. It's a shame that they had to break that scissor coffee I know. table. Because if the, when the movie wrapped, I'd be like, can I have that coffee yeah, table? Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. It, is, it is truly like someone was just having the time of their life. Yeah, like, I, I, I imagine the art department was just, like, had the best way of their lives designing yeah. that. And I, like, would, it, I would love to see um, Zeus consuming his... Ch- Kronos consuming yeah, his children. Scissors. <laughs> oh! 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 It hurts! <laughs> so that's we were just kind of talking about it, but Rum Williams, he's probably the best performance in this movie mm. for yeah, me. And I it's so interesting how much he gives you subtly. I don't know, it's like... And then you just go back to monkeys banging symbols together basically you know what I mean like when when we get to him it's like it's controlled I get what we're getting it makes sense this seems like a human being and then we just go back to the circus outside of him so looking to score just real quick so the score is done by Patrick Doyle who is Kenneth Branagh's kind of like go-to guy for score it's very very clearly a channeling of Bernard Herrmann's work with Hitchcock for this score because it's a lot of aggressive strings and musical stabs and that sort of thing. It's very sort of bombastic. And again, 100% delivering the score, I believe, that Kenneth Branagh probably asked for. Does that make it a good score for the movie? Uh, probably not. <laughs> I mean, he's, I, he's following directions for right, sure. Right, yeah. Is that the good direction? I right, like, I, I can't fault Patrick Doyle for this. I almost wonder if, if there, there would be something to be said for doing the 1940s uh, scenes with a more aggressive, bombastic score in the vein of Bernard Herrmann, and the modern-day score would have, like, a more subtle kind of 
present day aesthetic right. to it. At the end, you could have like the two scores kind of like merge as like the finale is happening. Where if like the modern day one is done entirely sort of like in a more noiry kind of like brass saxophone mm-hmm. style thing, then you can have that like mix with the strings and it's like as past meets present and blah blah blah. So I don't know, just uh, okay. shooting things out there. Are we ready to talk about fixes? Sure. Yeah. Who wants to start? I can start. Go ahead, Faith. I think there is simply too much going on in this movie. <laughs> there is simply too much. Money. I think, I think <laughs> simply everyone. too many notes in this movie. <laughs> I agree with and you. And also, I do not like the complete lack of agency that Emma Thompson's character has. Mm-hmm. So I think what I would do is I mean, pair it back a lot and also just give her a little bit more to do. And she's not going to be mute or have amnesia either, because I think that takes a lot away from her. But she is a woman who is having nightmares, and they're very vivid about a murder. And she really thinks that this needs to be investigated, but real police aren't going to do anything, because, you know, ACAB, but also yes. they suck. Mm. And, you know, it, it, it's... And they'll seen... be like, whoa, we got real murders to worry about the lady. This is LA! Moitas. The Moita capital of the West! <laughs> so she goes to Kenneth Branagh, who is a private investigator, and has him look into it, and he also starts seeing things that sort of happen in the past, and they're sort of having these dual nightmares, because I think they're also hinting at some connection between them with the church and the school, because, like, she's found at that like nunnery at the beginning and he also talks about like his time in catholic school so i think they will be people who like went to the same catholic school when they were children there was something that happened at that school before they went there there's some kind of reincarnation happening i only like halfway thought this out but like there's some kind of reincarnation for like the spirits of whoever got murdered like in this school maybe it was a house before it became a school um that's possessing them that like came to them when they were children and like that's what draws them together they have to try and solve this murder um in modern day and you know maybe the gender swap maybe not that could be something that's kind of interesting but it's like it's just there's pieces of it maybe the people we encounter along the way also like worked at the school or something and now are often doing other things or they were other students at the time that they had known when they were there but it's just just, like, take those pieces of it and, like, prune significantly. Like, cut it into, like, a nicer, just, like, topiary so it has some kind of, like, nice shape to it. <laughs> so, as I've been saying throughout this episode, I found this movie to be unintentionally funny in ways that I truly did not expect. I don't know how to take the elements of this movie and kind of make it make sense as is. So my fix is just fully committed to being a comedy I think it's so, so far over the top, you really don't even have to do that much to make it that way. Um, I think it would be even funnier, for example, they like really draw out that mirror reveal of, oh my god, I was Emma Thompson in the past life or whatever. I would love it if you just pan up and it's just Kenneth Branagh in a, in a nightgown. In a frilly dress. And he's just experimenting. <laughs> um, you know, like, why not? I don't even need Emma Thompson anymore. <laughs> um, I would love to play around more with the slow-mo because that was so funny to me. I want to play around with just have someone, like, calmly washing the dishes while there's, like, dum, 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 all the time. Uh, it was... I, I just thought this movie was so silly and ridiculous, and I could not believe that it was being serious. Yeah, so I think my fix is just go really goofy with it. I went for a semi... I mean, I guess it would be called a semi-minimalist fix. I think I'm keeping most of the stuff here. We're still going with Margaret and Roman, and uh, they reincarnate into the opposite 
of, of um, Mike and um, Amanda Amanda's slash Grace or whatever. I may have just invented this uh, in the last 15 minutes off of something somebody said. <laughs> Reincarnation revenge stories are <laughs> like, this is like Bollywood 101. Uh-huh. We're going with that kind of crazy dumb shit. Because um, we're just, again, it's magical realism. We don't think about that shit too hard. It's Bollywood. It's K-drama. It's, cr- it's party. It's crazy. It's party. <laughs> it's crazy. It's party. <laughs> So we're doing that kind of a thing. And if you want there to be this element of, like, who did it? Like, why, you know, there's this mystery of, like, who, who, who could killed? have done it. And you're, you don't have enough suspects. Let's make more suspects. Mm-hmm. Let's have Mike Church's best friend be an, a father figure who's older. And he isn't somebody that, like, he met him in the forest when he was on the first day of the job. It's, like, somebody that got Mike Church set up on the first day of the right. job or whatever. Piccolo, whatever it, Pete, whatever his name is, is like a 60, 70 year old man or whatever, mm-hmm. and is a mentor figure. Maybe Cozy Carlisle's a bit older or was, would have been around at the time. Um, and you also have the, the hypnotist guy, etc. You have all these people. Here's the deal. Yeah. It's Pete. Okay. Because Ooh. Pete found Mike much earlier in life and uh-huh. was like, I recognize Mike. Mm. I'm going to hang around Mike. And if Mike ever gets wise to what happened, I'm going to know about it and I'm going to be able to act on it and Uh like steer him away from it. And I don't think Mike real, I don't think Pete suspects or realizes that Mike is Margaret. He thinks Mike is wrong. Mike, yeah, right. And I think Margaret gets to kill Pete. Yeah. Uh, in the end. But yeah, it, it's going to hinge around the fact that Pete is secretly hanging around Mike Church thinking that like, oh, this is Roman Strauss. I don't care. I don't have beef with Roman Strauss. Mm-hmm. I had beef with Margaret. I killed Margaret. Whatever. I don't care. And then, oops, we found Margaret. Oops, Margaret's back. I'm going to like m- separate them as fast as yeah. I can. Um, and then he doesn't realize the whole time that he, for like 20 or whatever, 15 years, he's been hanging around with new reincarnated Margaret. Because he suspects that Margaret is going to kill him mm-hmm. that he's obsessed with the idea that Margaret's gonna kill him and he's right <laughs> and he was right to do it yeah so that's what it is okay so I think contrary wise I had the opposite issue with Chris where I thought there were simply too many things you could grasp onto to fix this movie like which element of this movie do you think could sustain itself for an right. entire movie because there are several ones here for a while it was should this movie entirely just take place in the 1940s it feels like Kenneth Branagh feels a little more comfortable doing the sort of heightened elements of the 1940s like maybe it should all have been then and it could still be sort of like a noirish mystery about who killed this woman I don't know the thing that I said earlier whenever Lee had asked like what's like the one thing you liked about this movie and I had I stand by this is the sort of gender swap reincarnation Mm. which I think is the one really interesting unique idea that this movie has so much of it is just sort of Hitchcock and a postmodern blender and that one is a little bit like oh that's something I've not seen before in a movie the reincarnation past life concept comes in almost from the get-go where I think it's that you have these two people who meet each other and like I, I don't know if it's just that like they meet each other you know, like romantically, or if they're just sort of thrown into a situation together, I haven't really thought that through too well. But it's just that the woman is sort of terrified of this guy, and the guy's like, "What? What? Like, what did I ever do to you?" She's just like, "I don't know. I just have this like weird recollection of like something very bad associated with you." I know it's irrational and weird, and I'm sorry, but like that's what what it is. Basically, you have a movie where the two of them are sort of undergoing hypnotherapy to discover why it is that this one person has this weird reaction to the other one, and so it's basically just the one character is convinced because. 
the other one killed them in a past life, they're going to kill them in a present life. And maybe it's like, subconsciously, I know that's a weird thing to be preoccupied with, but nonetheless, I'm preoccupied with it. And so I think because the gender swap, again, is the thing I like, and I had this sort of discussion with myself, like, could you make a movie where the entire thing is about the gender swap? Could you throw the gender swap at the end and have it be a twist? Would the gender swap be more effective if it happened, like, I don't know, at the end of Act 1 or something? And then it's just going off of that. But what I decided to do is just that maybe at the end we find out about the gender swap where they're not the character that we thought they were and because of all the flashbacks brought forth under hypnosis have been both of them together that's why they've been confused about who was who because it's all entirely been at places where they were both with each other at the same time we find that out because maybe the guy is undergoing hypnotherapy by himself and he suddenly realizes that like wait a minute like i'm in her bedroom and i'm talking to her friends and like that's strange that i have this perspective and that's how he realizes oh we swapped each other and so i think the thing that has to happen then is i think the person who was murdered in the 40s then has to kill the person who was there in present day and maybe it's done sort of as like an ironic tragedy maybe it's done as like this person knew going into this that they're getting revenge karmically for themselves by doing this maybe like these people are just destined to murder maybe they're like murderous lovers who like love each other but are also two unstable people who are also sort of destined to keep doing this back and forth through all eternity something like that but yeah i think it's just that you want to play up the ironic tragedy and you want to play up the uh gender swap twist which Mm. are the two things i liked but that's what i got all four very different ideas. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's so many ideas to... Again, yeah. Right. yeah. There's so many straws to grasp here. There's yeah. so many straws? I feel like I know the answer to this question, but uh, would you recommend this movie? I mean... I did not have a bad time watching yeah, it. Yeah, I also either. don't see myself recommending I feel like, it. yeah, that, like I don't think this is actively terrible, but it's also not good enough to recommend this. I'm, like, I'm not going to be like, oh, what a piece of shit, don't watch this, but I can't also suggest that you, you know seek what? it it's out. Quite, it's like two hours-ish. It's, yeah. it's less than two hours, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like I could see myself referring if we weren't watching it for the podcast i could sort of see myself telling one of y'all that i know well like hey you might find this interesting right there's probably but, like a very small number of people for whom this is their shit in which case like i remember that's for I, them i first heard about it on a list of like underrated movies from the 90s so i think it does have <laughs> defenders a, it does have defenders and like a following of sorts yeah i'm sure it does and again like this was fairly positively received at the time yeah. I have a, not overwhelmingly but like, like politely fairly, so. a lot of reviews on letterbox were like, yeah, a lot of people on Letterboxd also really like this movie, yeah. which I find a little perplexing, but anyway. I found myself feeling similar to yeah. this, the way that I felt about I Love Trouble. It's not good, and I would struggle to be like, do you know what you should put time aside to do? Right. Watch this. Right. I enjoyed the experience. Yeah, I think it, it, was a good, it was a good movie for this. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's certainly interesting. It plays it's with kind of fascinating ideas. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. a lot. And it's, I think it's better to do something that's not actively terrible when you're talking about it for the podcast. Yeah, so. right, right. Yeah. And there's so many, like we said, interesting ideas that you could potentially latch on to here. So. Yeah, it's not party, but it is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it is, I would recommend it. Guys, that's it for this week of our podcast. Hit us up on on uh, Apple Podcast, Stitcher. Give yeah. us a like. Give us a rating. Subscribe to us there. Facebook.com slash podcast or dropback.com for back episodes yeah. our basic website. Come at us. Come at us. Come yeah. back at us. <laughs> yeah. And two, two weeks. So the mini episode will be kicking off our theme for the summer. <laughs> <laughs> we'll tune in in yeah. two weeks to find out just what it is. Yep. Bye! Bye.